Your mentor for the next 40 minutes is the incredible Czech Warner, co-founder of the non-profit organization Diversity VC and co-founder of Ada Ventures, a VC firm committed to investing in overlooked founders and markets. It took Czech around 18 months, 67 flights and 300 pitches to raise her first fund. And she shares her incredible learnings from this process in today's episode. Czech also shares brilliant insights into what it takes to succeed in VC, including how her graduate job in advertising gave her experience across various industries and some core skills that helped her as she transitioned into an investing role. Why she's passionate about supporting underrepresented founders and her tips for breaking into the industry and how having the right mentor can help you overcome imposter syndrome, recover from knockbacks and keep you focused on your goals. DNI and social mobility are topics very close to my heart, so it was an absolute pleasure to speak to Jack about her career and the incredible work she's doing in VC and tech to drive much needed change. She's made me feel much more optimistic about the future of the industry. So whether you're a founder fundraising or you're desperate to break into VC, this episode is packed full of tangible advice that I'm sure you'll find of great benefit. So with all that said, please sit back, relax and tune into the latest 40 Minute Mentor episode with a brilliant Czech Warner from Ada Ventures. Czech, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the 40 Minute Mentor today. And as always, I like to start every podcast with a 30 second overview of your CV, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. So I studied English literature. I then joined a graduate scheme at a big advertising agency in London. I spent a couple of years there, really loved it, but was very interested in technology. So I decided to make a kind of career pivot into venture capital. And I joined an asset management firm, which was setting up a new VC fund. And I will tell you more about that journey because it's a different transition than most people have made to go from advertising to VC. And that's where I met my partner, Matt. And we then spent some years there, invested in some amazing companies. And whilst I was there, I set up an organization with others in the industry called Diversity VC, which is a nonprofit focused on promoting inclusion and diversity in venture capital and tech. I then saw an opportunity to actually put in practice the lessons that we were preaching to other VC firms. And with my partner, Matt, we left Downing and we set up a fund called Ada Ventures. We raised that fund over 18 months and we closed at the end of last year. And we've now made seven investments out of that fund. It's a $34 million fund investing in overlooked founders and overlooked markets. Wonderful. I'm particularly excited about this episode check because I've seen I've kind of we know a lot of the same people I hear wonderful things about you and Ada Ventures and you've had a really fascinating career so I can't wait to dive into it but before we do I wanted to start at the beginning really uh, understand a little bit about the young Czech Warner what were you like growing up did you have any kind of early career aspirations as a kid yeah so I went to a private school I grew up in London I was very, very fortunate. I had a very kind of privileged upbringing. And I, because I was at an all-girls school, ended up playing a lot of men in uh, theatre shows. So sort of my first thing that I, I, I did a lot of was acting, but I was, I was basically playing men most of the time. And I was very interested in, in things that, you know, I like work and academia, but I also really enjoyed the other things like theatre and, and sport. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do growing up. And I think, a lot of people think that they should figure it all out early on, but I don't think you, you need to at all. And when I went to university, I thought that perhaps acting would be 
the route that I would take. And so obviously I've ended up, you know, very, very far away from that working in finance. But uh, again, I think that shows that you just don't necessarily need to have it all figured out by the time you're in your teens or even in your early 20s. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually did drama A-level. My sister is an actress. So, and actually, I think the skills you learn from acting can be very transferable into your career. So whether it's public speaking or just kind of the confidence to perform maybe particularly useful when pitching for investment. So um, yeah, no, that's really interesting. And you you obviously, you mentioned you did an English degree and then you joined, I think, the UK's biggest creative agency on the grad scheme. So what got you interested in marketing and advertising at the time? And, and, and what were some of the important skills you learned during that early part of your career? Yeah, so obviously this, this podcast is all about mentors. And there is an amazing mentor that I've been lucky enough to have in my life uh, for a long time. And actually thinking about preparing for this conversation, it was actually him who made the introduction to somebody who suggested that advertising could be a great combination of something creative that would satisfy those interests, but also something commercial. Because I was also interested in business and, you know, at some point wanted to maybe be an entrepreneur. Uh, And so advertising felt like a really big combination of those two things. And so I spent some time with one of the friends of this mentor, who's a guy called Ali He's one of my my parents' friends and is an entrepreneur himself and said, look, I think you should sort of speak to this person. And through that, I got interested in this whole world of advertising, which I think is a very rarefied world, which you don't necessarily mm. know about when you're growing up and, you know, at school, it's not necessarily a career that you immediately would think of. Yeah. But I found it really addictive. It was just amazing people, absolutely, you know, fantastic, creative fun, interesting people. And that really drew me in. And I, I loved the time I spent at AMV. Amazing. And were there any were there any particular skills that you think you picked up then that you've been able to kind of use later in your kind of entrepreneurial and investing uh, career? Yeah, I mean, it was an incredible education. Uh, we were very fortunate, I think there were eight of us on the graduate scheme, and we got taught anything and everything. We were on the post room, we were on reception, we were working in every single different department, we got rotated around. And I think that was such a good experience to put yourself in the shoes of everyone in a big mm. company. And we also just got this you know, exposure to clients in different businesses. I worked on BT when I was there for you know, several years. And at the time, they were launching their sports channel. And they also were launching their kind of mobile offering. So it's just fascinating to kind of be on the front, have a front seat, all of that and getting exposed to the strategic challenges of a business like that, that was trying to kind of go into content. And yeah, I just, I think it's a fantastic thing if you can get onto a graduate scheme and get that kind of formal training. I think I learned in particular to lead and to take responsibility for the whole end to end of a process because I was in the account management department which is effectively the glue between all the different, you know, the creative bit, the the strategic Mm. bit, the clients. And it's quite a tough job because you're constantly managing all these different stakeholders and trying to get one project from start to finish. And it it really taught me, you know, to be on it, to be efficient, to be able to own something, to deal with things going wrong. And I think manage relationships as well. That's really interesting because I guess a lot of a lot of people I've spoken to have come from a 
consulting grad scheme or a banking grad scheme. But actually, you know, I can totally see the benefit of getting that sort of early exposure to those sorts of corporate clients and, and having the commercial element. I can see that being, it's clearly helped you massively in your career. So that's maybe for anyone listening to this that's that's thinking of a slightly different path, that sounds like a really good one. And then you, I guess you ultimately pivoted from advertising um, into the kind of world of investing. You mentioned you joined the asset manager um, and Downing Ventures. So uh, what made you decide to do that? Because that, again, is very, very different. And we all know that pivoting careers, although we talk about it a lot and encourage others to try, it's not the easiest thing. So how difficult was it making that transition? Yeah, it was difficult. I think the most difficult piece was overcoming my own limitations on how I thought of myself um, Mm. and also those around me, because I had not studied maths. I had not studied economics at university. I'd studied liberal arts. You know, I definitely never thought of myself as somebody who would be even able to work in finance. And so, again, I go back to my mentor, Ali, because I went to see him and talked to him about wanting to do something entrepreneurial and wanting to get into tech and what do I do and how do I make this transition? And he was the one that first sowed the seed of what about venture capital? And I think without that, I'd just never, ever have thought that I could ever do something like that. Um, so I, I owe a lot to him, um, not only because he sowed that seed, but also he made an introduction to the person that is now my business partner. So wow. he introduced me to Matt. And it was quite a, a funny situation because he didn't actually tell Matt, who was setting up down Venture at the time, that I was going to come and kind of interrupt the meeting that they were having. <laughs> Um, so I sort of turned Classic. up with my CV and sort of said, look, I want you to hire me as the first person to hire in, within Downing Ventures. And uh, Matt was kind of alarmed and sort of, who are you? I've never met you before. <laughs> I'm not hiring anyone. Doorstepped. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Amazing. And I think what was great about that was just, you know, Ali gave me the confidence to just to just go for it and to, to mm. ask the question and, you know, I don't think I'd have ever had that if it were not for, for that. So I think the the second piece was just what could I bring to the world of venture capital that was going to be different? And I think I, I analyzed a lot of the experience that I had in advertising and understood that another thing that I'd learned was about how to understand what customers want and how the world's going to change over the next five, 10 years. And that's what venture capital you know, mm. is in some ways, is, is looking for entrepreneurs that are predicting the future and investing in those entrepreneurs and those those big trends and waves. So that was one thing that I felt, okay, that's transferable. And the second piece was actually all companies, no matter what their size, need to do sales and marketing. And a lot Mm. of them in the tech world, particularly at that point, sort of six years ago, didn't necessarily have sales and marketing in their early teams. They had a technical person and they might have had a kind of like leader or product person. So I pitched myself to Matt and said, I can come in and I can bring this aspect and I can also help the companies operationally. And he thought that was quite interesting to his mm. incredible credit that he you know, had that openness, I guess, to somebody like me. And after about six months of them petitioning him, <laughs> and sort of, like, <laughs> sort of, he agreed to meet up with me once and then I didn't really let him get away. And then after six months, yeah, he ended up uh, hiring me as the, the second person in the team at Downing Ventures. Love that. Love that. I always talk about being politely persistent, not being a bad thing. That's that's awesome. Yeah. yeah and you touched upon some really interesting things there. One around that 
imposter syndrome that I think we all suffer with at times. And actually, again, the power of a mentor to almost help you get over that and actually push you to take the leap of faith and and then actually just going for it. And as you said, asking the question, I think so, there, I think there are probably so many people listening to this that just have it within them to make changes and, and do bold things. But sometimes just it's that inner voice just telling them they can't do it and sometimes you just need that push and that's why I've always said that mentors can really ask the difficult questions and and and, and put you out of your comfort zone so that's a really really good good to hear and, and a really interesting story and it's clearly been incredibly uh, successful that persistence you showed what were some of the biggest challenges though because it's never easy when you transition careers in those early days of downing ventures and and how did you overcome those yeah, I mean, I didn't know anything about investing. That was a big challenge. Um, so I, I said to Matt before I started, you know, I need you to teach me absolutely everything from, you know, start to finish about how to make an investment, how to assess companies, how to do all the legal process, the financial analysis, building cap tables. And I think it's, again, a, a credit and testament to him that he was prepared to sort of take the risk on me. And And I'm aware saying this, that now the industry has changed. It's got so much bigger. It's got so much more competitive. And I think that the the journey that I made is probably not actually transferable to people who are looking to get into it now. And that's super frustrating. But I, I was very fortunate to have just managed to meet somebody who was prepared to take that mm. to take that risk. And I think it was also again back to the sort of imposter syndrome of, of trying to look at the data of what I could offer and what I did offer and you know, just try to kind of remind myself all the time of actually, I'm capable, I can do this. I'm, you know, I'm good at this job. And and I spent mm. a long time feeling that I couldn't, but actually, I kept trying to kind of remind myself of the objective facts. And by the time I finished at Downing, I'd done 34 investments, I led seven, I was sitting on five boards, you know, I actually had an incredible amount of experience, even though I wasn't actually there necessarily for that long. So I suppose that's advice I would give to people who are struggling with, you know, that imposter syndrome is just try to kind of circle back to like, what do you actually know about what you've done? And just focus on that and not let the negative voices in your head tell you that you're not good enough. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. And and I guess one of the the, the amazing things about VC is you get to meet incredible entrepreneurs and see, you know, these fantastic businesses, sometimes in those kind of earlier stages. So does anything from that time really stand out in terms of particular startups or entrepreneurs that you worked with that kind of may have inspired you or gone on to do amazing things? Yeah, I was so fortunate to be able to spend time with some incredible people. One story sticks out from when I first started at Downing. I think I was about six months in and I met a founder called Ilya Levtov, who is the founder of a company called Craft. And it was one of those kind of speed pitching events where we were going around the room and meeting different founders. And it was a sort of 15 minute pitch. And I was so blown away by him, so blown away by his vision. He just basically said, I'm building a search engine for companies and I'm building the world's biggest and best data set on companies, public and private, globally. And at the end of the 15 minutes, he said to me, so that's craft and you know, this is what we're doing and we're raising a million dollars and are you going to invest? And I just said, yes, 
And Love it. <laughs> Love it. I bet he was delighted. <laughs> he was delighted. He's like, great. Okay. So, you know, let me know what the next steps. And suddenly I thought, oh my God, I've just said yes. I don't know what to do. I'm not, you know, I don't have the authority to say yes. I need to go and, you know, do, do the whole process. I've only just met this guy, but I was just so inspired by him. And I had to kind of sheepishly kind of go back to Matt and say, <laughs> I'm afraid I've just committed us to invest in this company and I don't really know. And again, to Matt's credit, he said, okay, cool. Let's, let's, you know, let's see if we can make it happen. Let's see if it's, if it is a good company. And he then ended up speaking to Ilya. He had the same reaction that I did. And we ended up leading their round. And, you know, just a couple of months ago, they announced that they'd raised uh, Series A uh, led by Greylock and High Alpha, two fantastic US funds. And, you know, the company's thriving. And it just, I think, you know, of course, there's lots of different counterexamples of that where you make a, a sort of split second decision based on the conviction about somebody where it doesn't work out. But I think in that case, it was just a, a brilliant thing to be able to kind of give somebody that first sort of check and really support them mm. to build, you know, an incredibly huge, ambitious vision. Love that. And out of interest, what was it that was so compelling? Was it his passion? Was it the storytelling? Was it just the data that he provided? What was it that really stood out in that moment for you? It was his scale of vision and it was his Mm. passion and conviction about how he was going to get there. And I think the sort of the detail with which he was able to sort of outline going from where he was today to getting to that vision. I think vision on its own is not enough. I think you have to have more sort of structure around that but um it was just infectious and and it was just the scale of what he was building was just so exciting awesome awesome that's that's such a great story and vc obviously you you started as you said in a slightly non-traditional way um and it is such a popular industry you mentioned it's a much bigger beast now than when you started and Sadly, it is a very difficult one to get into. So what advice do you have to anyone listening to this? And we get calls from consultants, tech people, bankers all the time about wanting to get into VC. What's your advice for anyone that has that aspiration to sort of be in your shoes? And what do you think people can do to kind of set themselves apart from the competition? Yeah, I mean, I think, unfortunately, VC recruitment has been so black box. It's been nepotistic. It's basically been if you went to these three schools and have this MBA and, you know, unfortunately, incredibly non-inclusive for a long time. And we're trying to change that at Diversity VC with with Future VC and many other sort of uh, initiatives that we're doing. But I think, you know, I I get a lot of calls like you, you know, from people who who want to get into it. I suppose I'd say, first of all, do you definitely want to do it? Because there are some real downsides to VC. It's a very frenetic job. You have to be constantly looking around and magpieing from one thing to another, it's quite difficult to go deep on anything. So if you Mm. don't enjoy that, then you probably won't enjoy VC. It it can be quite superficial, I think, because of that, not going to kind of go go that deep. Um, So I'd really sort of challenge people on, is it the kind of glamour of it or the sort of thing that you read about in TechCrunch, or actually, is it something that you genuinely feel that you would, you know, your whole personality and skill set lends itself to? But if you've made that decision and you definitely do want to do it, I think what I would try to do is just get started as soon as you can. And I appreciate that you can't get started if you don't have a lot of capital. But actually, even with you know a few hundred pounds, you can start investing in some of the crowdfunding platforms. Or you know, even without money, you can build your kind of model portfolio. And but so much information out there now, you know, through AngelList, through all of these 
free platforms to get information like Craft, for example, you can identify companies, build that model portfolio. And then over time, you'll get to share and refer companies to VCs. And I think that's the best way to kind of get in front of VCs is to say, you know what, I've seen your thesis, I've seen what you're looking at, and actually here are three companies that I think would be a really, really good fit for you. And I just think that's always going to be interesting mm. for a VC because mm. you're always wanting to find the sort of uncovered deal flow. So do that. And then I think about what is it that is your edge? What can you bring to a fund that is unique? And quite a few people who've got into VC have specialized in different content marketing, for example, Harry Stebbings or Jenny with Think Testing. Mm. So you know, can you build a newsletter? Can you build profile around a certain subject area and can you become a magnet for any entrepreneur that wants to start a company in that area because if you can then you've done 90% of the work to getting a job with VC. I'm sure lots of people listening will really appreciate that advice I think there's some fantastic stuff in there for people to take away and I wanted to come on to talk about the WSTVC because uh, you mentioned historically it has not been the most inclusive um, industry so you created I think I'm right in saying uh, alongside some others um, WSTVC in, in 2016 and and I know it's a group of people very passionate about increasing diversity within the industry so can you tell us a bit about kind of how it came about and and the sorts of initiatives that you've been involved with to date? Yeah, sure. So it came about because having come from advertising, which was a very you know, broad set of people who worked in that industry, it's probably not broad enough, but certainly more so than finance mm. and sort of seen that there was just a real lack of diversity in, in the finance industry. As I observed it, I joined up with Lillian Lee and, and Travis Wynn Stanley and a woman called Anjali as well, who's actually since moved to the US. And we first started with just a fireside chat where we got some prominent VCs to sort of behind closed doors talk about if something should exist or were to exist that was tackling this issue in a very intersectional way, what should it look like? Should it exist? And the energy and the sort of desire for something to exist that came out of that conversation was just so huge that I think that sustained the organization, you know, until today. We have been completely driven to date by volunteers. So we are made up of people who work in the industry and everyone who is part of Diversity BC, you know, is doing it really in their spare time and until we brought someone on, you know, last year to just be our first kind of hire within the company. Uh, so it's it's just a real passion point, I think, for a lot of mm. people. And what's really exciting is that we've been able to see real change come about. Because when we started Diversity VC, clearly we knew that there was an issue, but we didn't just want to become another kind of group that was, you know, rattling the industry and saying, you know, this, this should change, that should change, but not actually providing any practical help to do so. And so we decided to do a couple of things. The first was collect and publish original data. The second was to come up with training and resources to help VCs, which has resulted in the diversity VC standard, which we've just launched. The third was to help uh, people get into the industry who come from different backgrounds. And the fourth was help entrepreneurs access capital. And I think in all of those ways, we've just tried to be very tangible about the work that we do and measure everything. And it, it's been great so far. We've still got a long way to go, but I think we've, we've made some good impact. 
Yeah, I think you're doing an, an amazing job. And I think probably it'd be worth just just touching upon those underrepresented founders that you, I guess one of the reasons that you, you you sort of set this initiative up. What are the barriers that they typically face when they're looking to raise funds? Why is there this need for this? They face so many and it goes right back to education, childhood, you know, structural racism, sexism, you know, a lot of things that are too big for us to sort of unpack fully. But when it comes to even the basic things like getting access to venture capitalists to actually make your pitch, first of all, a lot of VCs don't have any way, obviously, uh, to contact them, to submit Mm. a pitch or to get in front of them to pitch a company. And even before that, you know, angel investors are also not easy to find and often the entrepreneurs that do get funded by angels are the ones that get funded by VCs later on because they're they're then able to create companies that then get traction and so on and so on. So there's just across the entire stack, all of the sort of odds of access are sort of stacked against you as a founder that is non-heteronormative, not a white man that went to Oxbridge and has an MBA and speaks in the right way and it comes from the right part of the UK, you know, just talking about the UK. So there are just there are just so many things that we're trying to tackle with the rest of VC that sort of put barriers in place for these founders to access capital and to then access scale up capital and to grow their company successfully as well. It is so frustrating, isn't it? As H.E. Britton was on the podcast recently and he shared very passionately his his kind of, I guess, frustrations at some of the challenges he's faced in and in the industry. But he also name-checked you and the fantastic work you're doing to change things. So I know kind of DNI and social mobility, that they're, they're something that you and I really are passionate about. You set this up about five years ago. So where is interesting now compared to where it was and what still needs to be done? Because you're clearly making some really good strides. Yeah, I think five years ago, this wasn't even a conversation that was being had at any level. And now it's fantastic to know that this is a conversation that's being had on a regular basis at the very senior levels and at the institutional investor levels of the the investors that invest into VC funds. And I think that a combination of factors, the light that a lot of organizations, not just us, have shone on the issue, you know, Atomico, Extend Ventures in their recent report, you know, has all helped to, you know, catalyze that. Uh, but also things like the killing of George Floyd and, and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. So I think that's a big development. Mm. I think the second thing is that we were very unsophisticated when we first, you know, started having this conversation about what what we meant by diversity and inclusion and what the overlapping factors might be. And I think that's evolved as well. And I think now we're much more aware of the fact that you know, socioeconomic mobility um, plays a huge role in the success rate of companies or in the ability to even start a company. So if you come from a more deprived background, you cannot get access to so-called friends and family money of 50 to 150,000 pounds. And so you never even get out of the starting blocks. Mm. Uh, and I think there are other groups that really have been ignored in the conversation uh, and those groups are now you know getting a bit more attention but I certainly feel that a lot more needs to be done looking at people who have disabilities people who are neurodiverse you know black women for example you know there's been a lot of conversation about women but actually the intersectionality of women doesn't really get a look in so I'm quite optimistic to see how these conversations are playing out but 
I think where we still need a huge amount more work to be done is actually in making investments in these founders and doing it at much, much, much bigger scale. And that's what we're trying to do a bit of with Ada Ventures, but we just need many, many more funds like Ada and funds like ImpactX and funds like Cornerstone, you know, trying to address this problem. Yeah, definitely. Well, all of us at OBM are fully behind the, the, what you're doing and the work that all those firms you just mentioned are. And if there's anything we can do to help, please let us know, because I think we'd love to be on that journey with you and, and do what we can to move the dog, because it, it kind of needs everyone to pull together on that, I think. Um, but you mentioned Ada Ventures. So I obviously want to come on to talk about this fantastic business you've set up. I find, I think, uh, sort of, uh, did you set this up a couple of years ago? Yeah, so um, I'd love to learn a little bit more, and I'm sure our listeners do too, about what was the driver behind setting up the fund in the first place? Yeah, I think it was it was a couple of things. I think one is that I had met somebody who I just felt I really, really wanted to build a business with and I could build a business with, you know, an equal partner who mm. I had purity of a relationship with and decision making with and also just had fun with. Yeah. Uh, and that was just a huge factor because venture capital is such a small, you know, they're such small funds and it really is about the team and Matt was that person. And so that was a huge factor. I think the second huge factor was our shared uh, passion for the idea that there are these incredible people out there who are currently undiscovered and who have the potential to come up with ideas that will impact our world for the next 10, 20 years. Some of the biggest companies in the world we think are going to come from some of these founders that currently are totally overlooked and ignored. And that manifested itself in this in this person, Ada, and the story of Ada Lovelace, which we really both just connected with so strongly. And so I think when we started thinking about, okay, what if we had a fund? What if it was called Ada Ventures? It just was so exciting to both of yeah, us. Love that. Awesome. So yeah, awesome. that's what led us to, to to setting it up. And the focus of the fund is on these overlooked founders and on the companies that they're building for overlooked and underserved customer groups as well. Amazing. That's incredible. And raising a fund we know is not an it's not an easy thing to do. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about that journey of how how that came about and, and the sorts of challenges you had to overcome getting it off the ground? Yeah, it, it's something I've written about when we closed the fund, but it, it took us about 18 months to raise the money to, to do our first close. We did a first close on 27 million pounds, $34 million at the end of last year. And it took us, you know, we met maybe 300 investors during that time. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of no's. We took 67 flights. We, you know, pounded the pavement. We cold emailed people so there was all of that, which is quite normal for a founder raising money. You need to put a lot of sort of spread a lot of paint. But there's also the financial side. You know, we didn't have incomes. We were having to put a lot of money into paying for all of this to actually do it. And then we also had to make a commitment to investing, you know, personal capital in the fund. Otherwise, the investors wouldn't invest in it, which is something called the GP commit which is typically kind of 1% of the fund. So that would be £300,000 for a 30 million wow. fund between myself and Matt. And you can see that these things are just not accessible. Uh, you know, raising a fund like that, you need a huge amount of financial backing before you can embark on a journey like that. And, and I was incredibly you know, fortunate that I had access to those resources through family and 
through savings and through being able to kind of move home and all these things, which mm. most people wouldn't have. So it's a slightly mixed feeling for me because I feel very fortunate that we were able to raise Ada and, and I feel really proud of the mission of Ada, but I also feel really <laughs> challenged that so many people who absolutely could create an amazing fund just currently do not have mm. access to that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. It's frustrating, but it's wonderful to, I guess it, it, it needs people like yourselves to be raising these sorts of funds and investing in these sorts of founders uh, to kind of move the dial a little bit more. And it, it's interesting to hear the struggles of actually raising the fund, because I think there are probably lots of people right now uh, as founders struggling to to raise capital. So I, I just wanted to quickly turn to them. For anyone that's listening to this, that that's finding it challenging at the moment, that may be coming to pits to the likes of yourself, what, what tips or advice could you leave them with that, that they can take into the the next pitch yeah i mean a few things one is that every no gets you closer to a yes so we sort of embrace the no's we kind of flip the no's into mm. sort of a positive because we knew that we had to get a certain number of no's that would mean we'd get to a certain number of yeses so i think that's one tip i think just having an outlook i, I wrote a journal you know i had a relationship obviously with my business partner matt where we would kind of lift each other up when the other person was down and we, and we just had this kind of amazing balance. And I think that sustained us because it is an incredibly grueling journey. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were told at certain points that women couldn't make money, that this fund would be a philanthropic exercise. It wouldn't actually ever make money. And I think, you know, when very important senior experienced people tell you things like that, it can be very, very distracting, especially if you're just starting out on something or a bit younger. And I think it's important to kind of know which advice to not listen to and mm. just you know, stay true to what you're trying to do and what is your North Star. And if you are trying to do something different and, and special, then a lot of people won't get it. You know, and a lot of people will criticize it and disagree with it. So it's almost kind of part of the journey. And, you know, I had a sticker on my laptop when we were fundraising that just said North Star, that was just a reminder of what we were mm. trying to do and why we were trying to do it. And that really helped me to just stay focused on the goal and on the mission and not get have my head turned by people who just undermined it and criticized it. Yeah, definitely. I, th I think it's that kind of the resilience that you need to get through these types of processes is actually a really good grounding, I think, for any founder anyway, because the yeah, once you've got the funding in and you're actually going to build a business, you're going to come across so many ups and downs, actually kind of, you know, sticking to your guns and, and, and having the odd no here and there, I think ultimately is, is, is not a bad thing. But I think you're right. I think having that support, whether it's friends, family or a business partner can be super helpful. I think first two years of JBM was just me. I was talking to the wall. Uh, luckily, my wife has been incredibly supportive. Um, but I think when I started sort of hiring people into the team, it was just incredible just to have someone else there to bounce ideas off and kind of share frustrations with. And you've clearly had a fantastic partner along, along that journey that's clearly helped. No, totally. And I think, you know, something else that it's really important to mention is that, you know, particularly this year, I think everyone's mental health is is frayed to some extent, but being a founder, there's such a high instance of mental health crises and, and issues. And I think it's incredibly important to give yourself a break and to not mm. push yourself too hard. Like Matt and I did take breaks along the way. We, we were, you know, we tried to be kind to each other and kind to ourselves. And I think it, it's just important to recognize that and to be really in touch with your own feelings and, and just not push yourself to the absolute limit because it's it's not worth it 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think in this time more than ever, trying to take some time for yourself and actually, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to have bad days. I think it's such a unique time and I think we're no good to anyone you know if we if you burn out and especially if you're in the middle of raising a fund or, or running a business so um yeah and no, that's a really really important point and um, we're sadly getting towards the end check I, I just wanted to ask one final question around unsurprisingly COVID and the pandemic it'd be a bit silly in 2020 not to touch on that although we won't dwell on it too much how have your portfolio companies been doing what have been the kind of key learnings for you for Ada Venture from an Ada Ventures perspective but also from the the founders and the businesses that you've been advising and working with yeah I think it's it's clearly something that none of us have ever experienced before and it's had a seismic impact in some of the businesses that we've invested in. It's had a very negative impact on some of it. It's actually had a slightly positive impact on. It's a real kind of mixture. But overall, you know, we feel incredibly fortunate to be in, in an industry which is relatively insulated because we work in tech. I think the key thing I tried to remind myself of is don't, if you can, let COVID drive your bus. You know, don't let it actually derail you. Think about what you can still do despite the fact this is going on versus what you can't. And so much of this comes back to mindset. And we've seen that even in the businesses that have been badly impacted, that basically can't operate, the founders have found a way through and they've pivoted and they've changed and they've been resilient and they've been creative and they've, and they've made it work for them. And it's been quite incredible to see that. And clearly, you know, it's a freaking difficult time for so many businesses. But I think, you know, it's very easy to just slip into being very negative and to feeling like it's out of your control. But actually, it, it is in your control and it will only be in your control if you take control of it, if that makes sense. So don't let COVID drive your bus. You've got to drive your own bus and think about what's possible and what you can do rather than what you can't. I love that. I think absolutely we've we've got to stay positive. I think for all the the negative news and the depressing stuff out there, there's also so many good news stories and positive things. You know, people coming together and doing real good in the community and and entrepreneurs, you know, creating new businesses or pivoting the business to great effect. So I think you can always seek out positives. I think, and I think we we all need to kind of pull together. And there's a lot we can all do, I think, in terms of supporting, whether it's SMEs and small businesses or, you know, friends of, uh, that are getting things off the ground. Like this is the great time to kind of, I think, show your support for those types of people that I think really need it right now. We were just talking, uh, my wife and I, about uh, getting takeaway from our pub that will be closing shortly and making sure that we're doing our bit because it's just it's little things like that, isn't it? Well, Jack, it, it, it's been um, it's been such an honour. I, I just wanted to wrap up with our last final three quick questions. You've touched on mentorship. It's it's wonderful to hear that it, it clearly has had an impact on your career. And do you still have the same mentor? Do you have different mentors? Do you mind just telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, I have a lot of different mentors, but I want to mention three in particular. The first is Ali, who I talked about earlier, who you know opened the first doors for me. He actually cared. He listened when I was a teenager, you know, talking about what I wanted to do. And he he made me believe in myself. And he is just a fantastic sounding board. He doesn't always agree with the things that I want to do. He challenges me, which is which is amazing. But he he's had a huge impact on me. Um, and I try to emulate what he's done to me with with younger people and with other people in my life. The second is Matt, you know, absolutely incredible. He is somebody who I I'm lucky enough to spend 
every single day of talking to and now as a business partner, but he's absolutely a mentor to me. And the third is my former CEO of the first company I worked for, AMV, Dame Silas Noble, who I'm very fortunate to call a mentor. And she is incredibly supportive, helpful, challenging. And she just takes an interest, not just in me, but in, in many young people and what we're trying to do. And so, yeah, I just feel exceptionally lucky to have all of those three people and many more in my life. Fantastic. And it's great to see that mentorship really does come in different forms and through different stages of one's life. So I think you can always continue to seek that mentorship out. That's really, really great. And I know that 2020 has been a tough year for everyone, but I want to look forward. I want to look at the 2021 and beyond kind of what what's in store for you personally, Jack, and also for, for Ada Ventures. Yeah. So for Ada Ventures, you know, and me personally, they're kind of one and the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're trying to, you know, really knock the cover off the ball with this fund because we had so many challenges, as I talked about, in terms of fundraising. We really want to prove that this strategy can deliver fi- you know, amazing financial returns. And so we're going to be adding to the team. We're hiring two people at the moment. We're going to be making another 10 investments next year and really trying to invest in companies that have the potential to impact a billion people ultimately. So that is going to be my major, major focus next year. And I'm excited to meet some of the founders that we're going to come across and invest in their companies. Wonderful. We wish you all the very best for that. And final question, Chet, for anyone listening to this that wants to get into VC or to be honest with you, just, you know, is thinking through a big transition career-wise, what final piece of advice would you leave them with to inspire them for the next year and beyond? Don't let yourself be the enemy of your potential. Don't let negative thinking and you you ruling anything out uh, sort of be the the reason why you don't go for things. I I just say I've learned so much from just going for it and taking risks and, you know, trying things out and be prepared to fail on them because you will learn something no matter what. Thank you, Chuck. That's an inspiring place to end this. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 40 Minute Mentor and we wish you all the very best for the months and years ahead. Thank you so much, James. It's been a joy to be here. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.